0: to the Religion and Story podcast. On this week's episode, we are talking about the craft of the sermon. Uh, We hear sermons every week. Every Sunday, the sermon has been preached. God's word has been proclaimed. Uh, But since we've heard so many of these sermons, uh, how do we view them as being effective? How can preachers make sure that the gospel message is preached soundly, and uh, articulated in such a way that it draws in listeners uh, to, to be persuaded, to follow after God. Uh, so today we're going to talk about practical tips, but also talk about just the theology that surrounds uh, sermons. So, uh, Dana, why don't you start us off? So, um, how do you deliver a good sermon?
1: Uh, that is a, that's a big question to start with. I'm not sure I'm the most equipped... To answer it but um, a, a few a few things to keep in mind first uh, I think it's important to remember that um, the sermon is a is a very old um, a- ancient uh, act of worship and for um, for almost all of the history of the church Christians have gathered um, to hear a word from their fellow um, Christians, and um, when preachers are partaking in that they're they're doing something very special very important so um a few practical things to think about um, in crafting a good sermon is uh trying to think about what this congregation, what the, the people around you need to hear. Um, I think it's, uh, Karl Barth has a, a famous quote about um, theologian needs to have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in another, and more, um, more and more that quote is becoming obsolete, but I think that the idea is still very evident that we have to be looking at scripture to be looking at uh, the word of God but we also have to be looking at what is relevant what needs to be said to these people um so I'll start with that idea and I'll I'll toss it over to Stephen but I think that that's where I want to begin is shaping a sermon around the needs of the congregation the needs of the audience what do they need to hear how do they need to be um how do their hearts need, need to be pierced? What change needs to be there? Or perhaps uh, how can we celebrate or lament with that congregation? Stephen, uh, what are some ideas you have for um, what makes a good sermon? How are preachers to preach good sermons? How is anyone to preach a good sermon?
2: Well, the obvious answer here is that you got to have a good three-point sermon. And <laughs> the thing about it is tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them.
0: Are those the three points?
2: It could be. uh, Just leave it at that. I'm going to tell you this. Um, Really, uh, I think Daniel started off uh, with a a few good ways to direct your thoughts when going into sermon preparation. Uh, I think it goes without saying you need to have a good relationship with the elders of the church and knowing where the direction of the congregation is going. Because if you are preaching in the present, you're not keeping your eyes on where the congregation will be going in in the future. So knowing what direction the church is headed, knowing what direction they should be headed and guiding them, guiding their thought process, because a lot of the daily devotional that, church members have, or the church themselves, is the foundation can be laid from the church gatherings, and what you are preaching from the pulpit is going to help guide their thoughts, and you're putting thoughts into the listener's minds. Your audience is going to take something from it, um, and I would like to get into a discussion of how to engage an audience, things like that. As far as preparation for material and topics, you got to know what are the things that your church is struggling with. What stages of life are a lot of the members in? Uh, what are the, the the issues that they're dealing with in the community that you're preaching in? If you're preaching to people that are in a economic economic downturn, then a lot of things about hope and assurance will help. Uh, lift their spirits, and uh, focusing uh, your topics on, it's about not being focused on the, this material world. That's just a, one example of what you might want to be looking for, but uh, engaging your audience in ways of that nature, knowing what the elders uh, have as far as the future plans for this congregation, what you're needing to guide them towards, and going from there. Mike, what do you think?
0: Sure. So I think sometimes we get into this idea, you might have even heard someone say, well, uh, the gospel itself is uh, a good enough message to where you, know, you just need to get out of the way and let it, uh, let it proclaim itself. And that is exactly true, that, that the message of Jesus, the gospel message, is enough uh, to, uh, to convict the, heart, the hearts of men and women. That said, um, crafting a sermon in such a way to draw people in is not something that is done simply by quoting a bunch of scriptures, although that might be a part of your sermon. Um, so, you know, Daniel, Daniel brought up the good point of, of uh, you know, Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other. I, I think that's good. Stephen brought up another good point about knowing your congregation. I wanted to continue on with that thought. Um, <clears throat> You should know, let let me put it this way rather than knowing something, you should expect for there to be visitors in your congregation. Uh, In your sermon, it should not be uh, using insider language all the time to where someone on the outside is totally confused and doesn't know what's going on. Uh, There should be an invitation uh, so that uh, you're always bringing the message back to Jesus. Every sermon that a Christian preaches should be about Jesus. Stephen, do you have a thought there?
2: Yeah. So you said not using insider information. Would you say that it extends to using, uh, in our case, uh, church of Christ lingo and uh, things of that nature where um, somebody that grew up in a different religious background uh, that they wouldn't quite understand. Are you saying to avoid things like that?
0: Yeah. It's, it's, I, I think, I think it extends there as well. You know, there are funny jokes. I'm not sure if we've ever made the joke on here before, but I enjoy getting a good, uh, 728 B joke in. Um, there, there was a famous Christian Chronicle article, even mentioning the Christian Chronicle is a church of Christ insider thing. Uh, but there was a famous church of, uh, excuse me, Christian Chronicle article that said, you know, your church of Christ, if you know, a bunch of Jeff Foxworthy type of jokes, of all of the insider language that we have within Churches of Christ. Those things are well and good. It's part of being uh, in the Church of Christ brotherhood. That said, um, if you're going to those things every week or even every month, um, you are perpetuating a country club mindset that this group is for me. Uh, that this group needs to maintain itself, and that's that 's the end goal of who we are sure we 'll get some new members every once in a while, but uh, we are for the insider, so yeah I, I think that we should avoid that daniel
1: i'll um, i 'll kind of push back on that sure. uh, i I like the idea for the most part, but the the one uh, i guess criticism would be. That I, I don't think that the sermon needs to always have an evangelical um, focus to it, that the, the idea that there always needs to be an aspect of it that um, is about the, bringing the outsider in or that it would need to always end with an invitation. And in fact, I think there's a growing number of preachers in our fellowship who no longer, though that has been a part of our fellowship, they no longer feel like they need to end with an invitation. Um, and I, I think that's partly just recognizing the reality of things. There are plenty of churches, again, in our fellowship, who they know who's there and they know who, if they're going to be visitors and they can see the whole auditorium if a visitor were to come in. Um, and They can tailor it accordingly. But even sure. on that more practical criticism, it's just the idea that sometimes um, I, I think you should be honest to what the sermon is and what it's about. And so if you are writing a good sermon that is about lament or about ethical change or uh, about celebration, um, then you don't want to shoehorn in an invitation into that.
0: Um, I- I completely disagree. Okay. Um, let, let, me, let me respectfully disagree. Um, uh, lament, ethical change, celebration, and I know you could have named off a hundred other things, and with each thing you would have said, I would have said, Jesus fits perfectly into that sermon. There is no theme of the Bible that uh, Jesus didn't experience more deeply, more perfectly and that bringing it to the gospel message doesn't make sense. And I think that we do ourselves a disservice. Um, and I guess I don't disagree with you. If there are five people there, and you know that they're all baptized, and they all told you beforehand, my week was fine, I have nothing to tell it. Like, okay, you don't have to offer a sermon there. But if, there's, if the room is big enough for you to say, I don't know the situation of all of these people, Every, sermons are, are meant to convict. And I, I love a sermon that teaches as well. I think really good preachers teach within the sermon. Um, but if the sermon is not convicting both of non-Christians and Christians, um, I'll even go, I'll go farther and say if it's only convicting of non-Christians, you've failed the majority of your congregation into thinking that they're doing pretty well that they don't need to have their hearts.
2: Combined. I agree with both of you to an extent. Uh, I agree that uh, every sermon should have an invitation. However, the, the transition between the, how these speeches, if you will, are being given to the actual invitation uh, message itself. Those are not a clear transition. And so the, the way that a preacher is going to construct a sermon, there needs to, uh, throughout the sermon, you need to have something that's telling the audience that find the way that you have a void in your life that is Jesus is missing in. Or what else are we talking about here, really, is what it comes down to. I do want to come back and ask Daniel something, and I'll tell you the question now, so think on it, and when I'm done, I, I would like to hear your response. But do you think that the act of going forward Is an outdated um, or bad practice that we might need to consider changing as there's other ways to confess other ways to repent other ways that uh, we can offer people the invitation if you will to be baptized it doesn't have to be through a sermon we could uh, start and stop every song that we sing in a worship service by saying if this song is something that calls you to God then come now does not have to be in a sermon, so uh, Daniel let's just what do you think about that yeah
1: um, I don't have a whole lot of uh, qualms with that uh, mode of uh, providing an invitation uh, the, okay so I'll say if all is meant by an invitation is the opportunity to um, have uh, ministers or elders pray over you to be baptized to uh, just confess something into the congregation to garner their help and their support, then yes, that should just always be available. And if someone needs to point that out at the end of the sermon or maybe in the announcements later at the beginning or whatever, I'm great with all of that. Um, I do think you were pointing out something, Stephen, that is important that um, this sort of invitation that we're very familiar with in our churches, you no, know, it has a, a long history in our movement it's mostly found in this um it's mostly found in this dramatic uh background of you have these revivals and so um people come to the front as um, to show that something powerful is happening and so they there's this drama around them michael are you, you
0: wondering to- uh, <laughs> Yeah, real quick, I, I welcome a fact checking on this, but um, if I remember correctly, the invitation itself is only 150 to 200 years old. Um, yeah. Maybe a little bit older than that, but it is not the way we think of the modern invitation does not go back that far. Stephen, I think what you were saying is more accurate to the way um, people responded in the past, was like, I, now I need to do it now. There wasn't a waiting process.
2: I, I never went into the details about what I thought the problem with coming forward is, but you know, are, are we clear that it's there's an association of shame with going forward, or a pressure for even young individuals, people that haven't been baptized, you're going in front of everybody. If you know what the number one fear is that people have public. Seeking. And so why are we making people do the, the, the first step of that in order to make the biggest decision of their life?
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Stephen. I was going to bring that up. I was actually talking to Lauren about this just a few weeks ago that, uh, again, while I'm not I'm not that upset with it. Also, I have very little fear going in front of people. But it seems like there is a whole lot of baggage connected to this thing that is supposed to provide these opportunities for prayer and for baptism, stuff like that, that we want to be, just take as as much baggage away from it as possible. So it's as liberating as possible. So I think you're exactly right. The um, opportunities
2: are there. We just need to do a better job of advertising
1: them. Yeah. Um, I, so I wanted to also get y'all's feedback on, um, so we've talked a little bit about how sermons need to, Uh, bring Jesus into them. And I think I agree with that part, at least, Michael, that Jesus uh, can very easily and very likely should be brought into all Christian messages. Um, But beyond that, uh, what should be the content of sermons? Does it need to have a, does there need to be a variety of things or um, I'll I'll leave it at that broad and general question. And Michael, you can answer first.
0: Sure. So, to me, the, the, I, this is a catch-all structure that I, I think um, most, if not all, good sermons that I have heard fit this form. Um, it's what's called the four-pages sermon. Um, the reason it's called the four pages is you, you try to fit in four themes in your sermon. Uh, problem in the old world, pro- or problem in the Bible, problem in the new world, problem in the today. Solution in the Bible, and then solution today. Um, you know, you you talk about the what's the conflict in the, in the biblical passage that we're talking about. What's the issue that we're trying to deal with? Then connect that to here's how that uh, again applies today. Here's why we're still talking about it. Then going back to how did they how was it solved within the text and then applying that to how it's solved today. And it's interesting that you can actually put those pages in any order you want to. You could start off with the solution and then lead into the problem that's associated with it. Um, You know, there might be some ways that are more naturally flowing, but preachers have found a way to structure their sermon, you know, starting in today and then going to the Bible or starting with the problem. Anyway, you you get the idea that there, there needs to be these four parts uh, to the sermon um also so talking still talking about structure i, I think about uh the, the lowry loop uh which is a preaching tactic that basically it's it's a fancy way of uh doing what in, in stand up comedy or in a tv show or movie is called a callback where you you mention stuff you you kind of come around but you come around back to that original thought and everything that you were saying within the loop was building towards understanding the original thing that you were talking about. Um, I think that also does, goes a long way in, in building up a new idea for a young Christian or a non-Christian that doesn't know too much about it, but also adding in information that more mature Christians are able to understand and, and keeps educated people interested. Um, and but but says how all of this goes back to the central core message that is in, which is essentially tying it all back into how Christ fits into the situation. So th- those are two different ideas. Um, like we could talk about first person sermons, like telling, uh, speaking the sermon from the perspective of Peter. Um, like here's how Peter responded to something. I, I think that that's underused. You probably don't want to use it more than once or twice a year, but there are many preachers who have never done it, and maybe that's not everyone's gift. Um, You know, more story-based sermons. Uh, There's there's different ways we could go with this.
2: One of y'all can probably quickly uh, come up with the term that is used for this when uh, political um, campaigns use things that are meant to uh, are as tear-jerkers, that are just, uh, uh, per, uh, Person stories or something like that. You know what I'm talking about anyway uh, I, I've seen plenty of very moving sermons that will take um, a story about somebody who went through horrible suffering just the story of um, How the song how great thou art was written? Just Telling that in a sermon is going to get people thinking about, wow, my life isn't as bad as I thought it was, and this person came out of it better on the end. It's inspirational, things like that. Those are the ones that seem to get the most people coming forward. Let's just say that. Um, as far as content goes, you got to have people looking into Scripture. If you're basically just grazing uh, the top of, uh, spiritual content without examining God's word and putting people into God's word, that for me is a big no, no. And a lot of churches without knowing it will do that. I mean, if they throw in even just one or two scriptures and, and frame an entire sermon around that, I still don't think that's cutting it. You need to see how it lines up in the big narrative that we have in the Bible.
1: Yeah.
2: Like you're thinking of something.
1: So, um, a few things. One, I'll go ahead and give a, a structural, uh, not as much a recommendation. I, I like Michael. I like the four pages method. And I think we've talked about that we agree, um, perhaps, that uh, the my favorite arrangement of the four page method is new world, um, old world, old solution, new solution. So, you kind of, uh, you start with, what's happening in your world. You go in the middle to looking at scripture and then look at solution. Then you come back to your own solution for your world. Um, uh, another way of just sort of also arranging these ideas, Michael, you, you were kind of hinting at these was, uh, just a, a deductive approach and an inductive approach, which are, mm-hmm. um, uh, semi technical words for, uh, approach where you, you think that the audience is already on board with, uh, if you're doing it if you're doing a deductive sermon
0: yeah doing a
1: deductive,
0: a deductive sermon good a deductive sermon uh for the, for those who don't know the term is usually associated with your three point sermon you know, yeah i'm trying to build an argument so yeah sorry go ahead um,
1: usually uh i think those are Use when you think that the audience is already sympathetic to what you want to say, they're on board, so you can go into a more in-depth argument, like a three-point sermon, like Michael's saying. Then an inductive sermon is usually pretty helpful if you think they might be skeptical, so you sort of uh, um, of edge your way into it. And the the Lowry loop is often used to do something like that. Steven? I
2: was just saying, you hardly ever hear a sermon that is you know, stepping on the toes of people and getting them to think in a different way. Uh, obviously, we talked about that in past podcasts about how a lot of these are sugar-coated uh, sermons that you hear from church.
1: That, another uh, other thing I wanted to get to was the co- content. So we talked a little bit about structure and then Stephen, you brought us back to content. I, I really wanted. to just go into what should be the content of these sermons. When we're talking about the four-page method and really just everything that I'm familiar with, I don't know. I feel like sermons are normally dealing with the same sort of content, and that is uh, expounding on a biblical truth and seeing how that might apply to my life. And should there be more variety there um like we have used the examples already several times in this podcast of a sermon of lament i have never heard a sermon of lament i've only heard about them in my preaching classes um that uh we would take 20 minutes out of our worship to uh, understand uh a a tragedy actually processing that pain for 20 Mm. minutes um that's just one example um what are y'all's thoughts on that
0: tying uh uh, something we were saying earlier to this idea of content i've i've heard of preachers saying that they they preached a moving sermon where after they preached it they had to move Um, (laughs) the the idea that you can offend people and you know sometimes you just have to do it even though it might cost you your job um the basics of content i would say that uh you know, If you're preaching, if you are preaching with teaching involved, like spend the time to go through a whole book of the Bible. You know, maybe you don't pick Luke, but you say we're going to do a series where we look at these different themes. And I think it's biblical to say if if God or the Holy Spirit inspired this author to think that this was a cogent thought that needed to be carried for five chapters in this letter, then perhaps we need to think about it in that way where we're carrying the message from beginning to end. Um, Daniel, I agree with you that there are underrepresented themes like lament. Um, I, I would say themes that need to be discussed in an inductive way, uh, are just, they're hard to do. And so preachers will avoid those unless absolutely necessary. Um, I, I also think that Y'all feel free to disagree with me, but um, I think a gifted preacher should be able to preach on theology, um, preach on on doctrine uh, in a way that it's not it's not something where it's like, hey, this will help you get through the week. No, th- this is actually a big concept that you need to shape your life around. Um, I, I think too often our sermons are made to to be encouragement for the week rather than something that is uh, transformative for life. Because if you don't get that from your most educated person in the congregation, the, the preacher, like, who are you going to get it from?
2: Well, I, I 100% agree with you. And uh, you said a gifted preacher should be able to do that. And even a gifted preacher needs to consider their audience. If uh, if you are coming to a church where a lot of people are surface level Christians, and you're going to have to resort to doing things like providing them with an outline with blanks to fill in, things of that nature to keep them engaged. And so they will, without fail, if they, if they follow along and listen for what these blanks are, they're going to go home knowing what your main points were. That, uh, they may have never heard a talk about theology in their life, but at least they know the seven blanks that they filled in to know what's going on. Um, a lot of churches do that and a lot of them don't. And I think that the ones that do things like that to keep their congregations engaged, some people don't need that, but there's a lot of people that do. You might as well your bases to provide that for the people that do need it. Um, as far as other tactics, uh, you said a good speaker, a good speaker also needs to know to enunciate and, and, and get capture the people's attention when you are coming to the climax of what your sermon is about. Going over your main points. When there's an emotional turn in what's being talked about. As a good speaker, you have to be able to capture the people's attention at those moments. Because if you're just going through at the same tone and same level throughout the sermon, they're going to miss your points. Because the kid in the seat next to him is acting up, something else is going on. If uh, you can't capture people's attention, they're going to miss out on what's being or what you're trying to teach.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, I also want to agree and say uh, we need more theology from the pulpit. Uh, theology, like you said, may not have any ethical, any practical. Uh, change that comes with it immediately, at least, but it does shape who we are um, as Christians. Uh, We shouldn't let it dominate the pulpit, and um, there are certainly some preachers who may do that, um, but uh, it needs to have some sort of presence there. I I do want to say one other thing real quick, going back to Stephen's comment from much earlier, uh, scripture in the sermon, I, um, one of my first preaching mentors told me, um, it's a bad habit of preachers in our movement to try to cram as much of the relevant scripture that's, uh, on this topic into a single sermon yep. um, that may be helpful for a term paper. Maybe uh, that may still be a bad term paper, but, uh, for sermon, you want to reduce that. Um, and he recommended pick one verse or one short passage and you focus on that and uh, you try to limit the amount of outside verses that
2: you bring in i agree with you I, I think that you do need to have supporting scripture about what is the relevant content like i said you're not writing a term paper but if you're talking about adultery hit up the main five verses in the bible that talk about sexual morality, or uh, out of wedlock or give us the, with the, what the foundation of marriage was in Genesis. And if the main one's about adultery, it should be good.
0: So, so I, I agree with y'all. You, you, you have your one verse and obviously if you never come back to that verse, you have done a disservice because that obviously wasn't your text for the day. Um, I would say you should limit your verses to, to try to only include those. That make a point that you're you're trying to make. You're trying to use this your central text to advance a point. Only use verses that do a better job, or a, not a better job, a clearer job of advancing a specific thought that you're trying to put forward. Don't just put in verses just because you wanted more con you know more verses.
2: I don't necessarily think that you should be preaching on a specific verse or even a, a section or a passage. I think if you want to have people have the ability to relate to your sermons, it needs to be on a topic.
0: Uh, both. You have to do both. You have to do some topical, some textual.
1: I'm big on topics. I'll, I'm going to agree with Stephen on this one. Okay. So if we're getting too close to the end of the podcast for this, though.
0: I know. I know. so let, let me. I'll make my my case here. And um, I, but I I agree with y'all that topical topical is very important. The reason I think textual is important is because when I allow, basically I give over my sermon to the text and say, I'm going to let God take the direction of, of this sermon because he's the one that set up this letter to be in this way. He's the one that balanced out the number of topics. I might think that, uh, you know, topic a is the most important, even though it's only mentioned twice in the book and the topic, topic B that's mentioned 12 times. I never bring up.
2: Sounds like you're taking that section of scripture, finding the topic that's there and then going with that. So I think you are doing a topical. I
1: would would think, yeah, I agree with Stephen. That's, that's called studying for your sermon. Okay. You give a sermon on a topic um, that came out of that text.
0: Um, But Hey, let's uh, we we only have a few more minutes left. Let's close off with, with a go around the horn. Um, Who's a preacher that you really like, and why are they good? You, you don't have to give a name if you don't want to, but think of a preacher that you think others should be listening to, and why, why is their crafting of the sermon so good? And also, if you have any resources, um, what would you share with others?
1: Um, I'll go ahead and give one. Uh, I, I actually don't know if he preaches regularly, but the uh, professor at ACU, Randy Harris, Um, does he preach on Sunday mornings? Do we know?
0: I don't don't think so.
1: I've gotten to hear him a few times and there are two things I like about him that make made him come to mind immediately. One, he's funny. So, Mm. uh, I can't understate how important humor is in public speaking and in sermons, uh, for getting people engaged. So, and he does that very well, but on top of that, in addition to getting everyone who's listening to him engaged in what he's saying, he says something that is almost combative. It is piercing. Uh, there's some something rich to be said there. And he doesn't tell jokes for 20 minutes and then we move on with our day. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, y'all will probably give some better sources in this, but I, I do remember... Uh, Rob Bell, regardless of what you think of his uh, his theology, he's a very successful preacher, um, and he actually has some videos you can find on YouTube that are really good where he delves into the task of the minister, and he talks a lot about shaping sermons. I listened to those probably seven years ago at this point, but I remember they were good, um, so they're worth checking out. Yeah. Uh,
2: One that... I remember hearing as a a youth was the preacher Jeremiah Cummings who uh, went back and forth between uh, being Muslim and Christian I think a couple times and uh, extremely convicting sermons. Um, I I would also say I think Steve Clower is a great and fantastic preacher, one of the best I've heard, Um, and I'll also throw in controversial to say the least, uh, Don Simpson, um, who, uh, was a, a very good preacher during his time. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the is for why I'm picking those uh, guys because they, they know the Bible backwards and forwards. That's how they're able to preach the word because they know what it says. And, uh, knowing this, uh, the story that's in scripture, and what it actually means, which a lot of preachers don't. They know their scripture, but they don't know what the actual message is. And those guys did, and that's why I chose them.
0: Yeah. Um, everything you all said was, I, I think, right on board. Let, let me let me offer up, um, I guess, the, the one preacher who I go to uh, first, if I'm thinking like, you know, I wonder what different people think on this topic. Um, I usually go to Tim Keller first. Um, another good resource, and these are both reform guys, so they, they differ a little bit with us on theology, but John Piper usually has a convicting message uh, to put forward, so I would put him there too. But t- Tim Keller, to me, does the best job of crafting sermons uh, because he, he preaches to the intellect. He gives you new information that you haven't thought of before because he has is, he is studied deeply on a number of topics. But if you've read any of his books, his books are very much like his sermons in that he leads with, uh, to go back to the four pages format, he leads with the problem in our modern world. He'll give you a quote from a popular magazine or the New York Times or, or something where you're saying, oh, well, this must have authority in society today. And then he starts to, to poke and prod around this quote or the story that he's telling you and then joining that poking and prodding to this has always been the problem that we've had, uh, that Christ, that, that God, him that that the Trinity has always been trying to get at and then, then pointing to, to the answer there. Um, so, uh, two resources, um, his book called preaching is an excellent book. Uh, if you ever think you'll have the occasion to preach, I would recommend reading it. Um, This is going to sound nerdy, but even the footnotes are excellent. Um, it was really good. Another good book, um, this is a, a family plug, but uh, Zach Sewell is a minister who wrote a book called um, A Time to Preach, which uh, the, the subtitle is Preaching Occasionally or on a Fill-In Basis. You know, Maybe you're not a full-time preacher, uh, and you might not need to hit a home run all the time. You just have to come in every once in a while and you need to get the right message for that congregation at the right time which Stephen you were talking about at the beginning of the podcast know your audience Um, so there are appropriate resources for wherever you are uh, whether you are a young preacher old preacher you'll never preach Um, it's still a topic that we should all know something about so uh, that said we'll go ahead and wrap up our podcast thank you to all of our listeners Uh, we appreciate the time that you spend with us If you like the podcast, please uh, subscribe to it. Leave us a comment and we'll talk to you next week.